I wanted to start off with um, kind of giving you a little bit of the history of, of Valentine's Day. If you were here on Thursday, Ray shared on God's love, God's way, and that's kind of in line of what we're going to teach, or what we're going to attempt to teach today, what I'm going to attempt to teach. Uh, our pastor has a lot of faith. You guys know that, right? He, he has me up here. That's a proof that, that he has a lot of faith. We drew straws, and there was nobody here to draw, and I got one, and so he said, okay, you're, you're teaching. Um, but uh, he shared, Ray, on, on Sunday that uh, the first Valentine's was posted around 1806. And this is interesting. Almost 1 billion Valent Valentine Day cards are sent each year or near February 14th with females purchasing 85% of the cards. The guys are probably saying, yeah, I get that. Um, this is the second only to the number of Christmas cards sent during Christmas season. And so this is huge, right? The history, it's somewhat murky. This is according to gotquestions.com uh, uh, as to how Valentine's Day actually started. But some of the legends out there is that it started after someone, uh, a saint uh, named Valentine, who served in the 3rd century in Rome. He served under an evil emperor named Claudius, uh, Roman, uh, who decided that the best thing for his army was to not allow his soldiers to get married. You know, I'm going to keep them strong. I'm going to keep them uh, fit. I'm going to keep them together, and I'm not going to let them get married. Well, this, this Valentine guy, this, this, this guy believed so much in the principle of marriage, and believed as the church does today in the covenant of marriage, that he said, you know what, I don't care what this king says, I'm going to continue marrying these soldiers. He was a pastor. And so he continued. He continued marrying these posters for the sake of these, these soldiers for the sake of love. And, and Claudius found out. And he was sentenced to, uh, to jail and actually sentenced uh, to death. Um, but in the, in the time when he was waiting uh, for him to die while he was in prison, Valentine reportedly fell in love with the jailer's uh, blind daughter. And the legend says that um, as he was praying for him, praying for her, God healed her. And they fell in love. Um, but the time came for his execution, and right before he was executed, he sent her a card, and he signed it, Love, Your Valentine. And that's how we get uh, St. Valentine's Day. It's a good story. I don't know, you know how true it is, but I'll, I'll take any, any, ch any chance I get to spoil my wife. I will, because she deserves it. She lives with me, you know? Uh, um, and, I, and I love her, you know what I mean? And uh, so if you see me flirting with an usher, you, you'll know why, okay? That's my wife. Don't, don't get any ideas. But speaking of stories, I, I read about a, a story of a wife who woke up one Valentine's Day morning and uh, turned over to her husband, and, and she said, Honey, I, I had a dream that you gave me a pearl necklace uh, for Valentine's Day. And she kind of like, you know, kind of hinting, you know, with her, with her elbow, what do you think that dream means, babe? Yeah. So the husband kind of played along and he said, you're going to find out later, baby. And so this guy goes off to work, you know, the time is coming for him to get home. And this lady is just like, man, she's antsy, she's waiting, she's looking out the, the window in the kitchen. Is he driving up? Is he driving up? Finally, he comes up, has, has some flowers with him. And he gets out of the truck, because uh, uh, guys drive trucks, right? He gets a, a little flat box wrapped in, in red wrapping with, with a bow in it. And so the wife's like, yes, you know, thank you, you got the hint. Um, and he comes in and he, and he hands her this, this, uh, this box. And so she goes at it, man, like a, a, a five-year-old on Christmas morning, right? She just tears it all up. And then she comes to the surprise that it's a book on what do dreams mean. Hey, he kept his promise, right? 
He kept his promise. He told her, you'll find out later, baby. So there she could look up. What does a pearl necklace mean? Uh, today's message is entitled The Way of, of Love. Uh, so I want to kind of throw out uh, the outline at you. I'm going to throw out some C's at you because I think sometimes when we have like something to hold on to, we remember things a little bit better. And so that's all it's for. Um, the outline today is going to be, we're going to talk about the way of love beginning with the course of love. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the way of love in the sense that it has to be vertical. Vertical, right? God's love to us, our love towards him, reciprocating the love that he's given us. And then we're going to talk about the fact that in, if we have any chance of loving successfully in the horizontal, we first have to go vertical. It's a vertical and a horizontal love, the course of love. Second thing we're going to talk about, the next C, is the cost of love. Do we feel it? Do we feel the love? Is it hurting? You know, that's when you know that it's love. Third C is going to be the confirmation of love. Is there, is there proof that you're loving? Is there proof that God's shown us his proof that he loves us, right? Is there proof in our lives? Is it sacrificing love? Is it selfless love? Is it staying love? And then the, the, the fourth is the centrality of love, meaning the importance of love. How important is it for us as humans to love? And then you jot that down another level or up another level, and you say how important it is for Christians to love. Okay, to love the, the right way. And then lastly, which goes hand in hand with it, the consequence of love. What is at stake if we choose to love the right way? What's at stake if we don't love and we just continue doing what we've always done? It's funny, uh, uh, Pastor Manny asked me to teach, you know, and, and he's saying, oh, man, Henry, it's going to be easy, man. It's on love, you know? And I'm thinking, bro, what are you thinking? You know what I mean? Like, that's like huge, you know, like love. How am I supposed to teach on love? It's easy, you know. So I'm like, okay, he says it's easy. And I get home and I tell my wife, I'm going to teach. And she's like, when? On Valentine's Day, you're going to teach on love? <laughs> so, man, my level just went down, you know, my confidence. You know? And it's true, you know, because who am I to teach on love? That's my kids. You know what I mean? I fail every single day. But, you know what, I, I believe that because of who God is and because I'm under his wing, He's actually teaching me. I'm a, I'm a project child of his, and he's teaching me how to love. And I think he's teaching all of us how to love. So the first thing that I want to kind of talk about is the course of love, the road to love. So if you have your Bible with you, open up to Matthew 22. Matthew 22, we're going to be reading verses 34 through 37. You guys are all familiar with this passage, right? Uh, usually it's used uh, to be able to, to, to shrink down the law from hundreds and hundreds of law to just, hey, man, don't you get it? It's just about two things. Right? Don't, don't make a bigger thing of what it is. It's just keep it, keep the main thing the main thing. That's really what it's used for, but we're going to look at it in a different way, hopefully, today. Matthew 22, verses 34 through 37. It reads, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together. Then one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question, testing him and saying, Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law? Notice it's just singular. He's just asking, what's the greatest commandment in the law? And so Jesus said to him, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. Jesus was asked a question about the law. What is the greatest? Give me the top. Don't give me the top ten. Give me the top. What's the greatest? I want to just know that because I want to do that. The Jews had a way of, of, of shrinking down their laws from the major laws to the minor laws. And so this, this, this Pharisee, this guy asking the question, wanted sincerely to know what's the greatest of the laws. And so Jesus responded by citing the Old Testament, didn't he? He, uh, he, he quoted what is known as the Shema. 
which if, if you're, you're a Jew or if you've studied the Bible, you'll know exactly what it is. The Shema is the most fundamental expression of the Jewish faith, according to a Bible dictionary. Um, the, the Shema is found in Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 5. You don't have to turn there. I'll read it to you. It says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. The word Shema actually means hear. It means listen. So in essence, God's saying, I want you to listen to this. I want you to pay attention to what you're about to confess, to what you're about to say. The Lord is one. The Lord is real. I am your God. You need to love me with everything that you have, with everything, every ounce of what you have. I want you to love me. This confession was so special to the Jews that to this day, devout Jews all over the world recite it every morning and evening. This is something that they say. This is something that the kids, by the age of five, have to memorize and recite over and over throughout their whole life. If you're a devout Jew, you're going to know the Shema. You're going to know this by heart. It just goes to show you how that you can know things. You can have head knowledge, but not heart. Right? And we have to be careful with that. Jesus being a Jew, Jesus being a man... Jesus being God, it's interesting to look at it from that perspective, knew that the most critical thing that we needed was love. It was love. And that was the love from God, the love towards God. Why? Because as humans, we were created from love to love. Uh, Jeremiah uh, 31, uh, 3 is a, good, is a good proof of that. It says, The Lord has appeared of old to me, saying, Yes, I have loved you with an everlasting love. Therefore, with loving kindness, I have drawn you. I have loved you with an everlasting love. That, that means that we were created from love. With loving kindness, I have drawn you. That, to me, signifies that we're drawn to him because of that love. We need love. Our DNA, it, it requires love. Whether you admit it or not, whether you're this macho guy, I don't care. We all need to be loved and we all need to love. We all need to rescue and we all need to be rescued in some sense. We all need purpose. And love is that purpose. Love is the glue that unites us all together. But if we want to succeed at this, that's this thing called love, we have to be on the right course, right? Anytime my wife and I go anywhere, she's like, did you map it out? Because she knows how I get lost all the time, right? Manny's not the only one. Did you map it out? Do you know where you're going? We have to be on the right course in order to be able to love successfully. And for us as Christians, we need, that, we need to know that the road is, is vertical first. It's crucial. In order for us to be able to love, guys, we need to be able to receive God's love and reciprocate God's love. We need to be completely convinced by that song that we're singing, overwhelmed by God. That's the only way that we could love. I mean, don't don't get me wrong. I guess you can love on the the, horizontal, but you're not going to love right. It's going to be fleshy. It's going to be filled with disappointment. You're going to be trying to fulfill yourself with something that only the vertical road can give you, the vertical love. And as we celebrate love today, um, we we should spoil our our wives. We should spoil our spouses. We should celebrate uh, those that we love. But we cannot forget that the reason why we're even talking about love is because we were first loved. Amen? I was talking to my wife about Valentine's Day the other day, and I asked her, you know, if she thought it was okay if Christians celebrated Valentine's Day. And, and I understand there's some of you that might have that conviction where you don't, and that's cool with me. Just don't throw it on me, okay? Because I want the opportunity 
to be able to celebrate love. I wanted the opportunity, like I said, to spoil uh, my wife. Um, but when I told her, do you think that as Christians we can celebrate you know, Valentine's? She kind of gave me this look like I was trying to skimp out on her Valentine's Day present. You know, like, <laughs> like where's your angle, you know? And then she told me something that stuck to me, you know. She said, of course, you know what I mean? Because that's our holiday. You know, who of all people should love? You know, us. They took it from us. You know, that's who Jesus is. He is love. He's love manifested in the flesh. Of course we should love. In fact, we shouldn't wait till February 14. We should love 365 days a year, 24-7, right? And so, you know, um, the greatest thing that we can do, our greatest pursuit as Christians should be to love. Love from our creator, love to our creator, and then, of course, when we're going to get into it later, uh, love towards our neighbor. First John 4, 8 says, He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. So if you don't have love in your heart, um, that's pretty much uh, evidence that there's something wrong with your heart, that you don't have God in your heart. Because God is love. He is love. Second Corinthians 13, 11 says, Finally, brethren, farewell, become complete, be of good comfort, be of one mind, live in peace, and the God of love and peace will be with you. The only one that knows the deepest needs of our heart is the one who formed our hearts, guys. And he knew, Jesus knew. It's the greatest commandment. Ah, oh, that's easy, man. Deuteronomy. Love God with everything you have. Love him. Vertical love. It's the only way that you can love is love in the vertical way. But why did Jesus say that the greatest law was to love? I'll give you two reasons. Number one is idolatry. You know, sadly, man, we're, we're so gripped by idolatry, you know. Throughout the Old Testament, God's people were warned, huh? I mean, you read the Old Testament, and that's time after time after time after again. Do not worship idol. Do not go after those things that can't talk, that can't hear. You know, don't do it. And what did they do? They, they, they time after time after time went after idols. Uh, one, one passage that comes to memory that we all know is Exodus 32.1. When, when Moses went up to Mount Sinai, right, to go and hear from God, to bring the commandments down to the people. Now bear in mind that, that this is fresh off all kinds of miracles that God had done for these people. I mean, it was, it was, there was no denying that God was their God, that God was loving them, that God was directing them. The miracles were still fresh. The judgments against Egypt, the deliverance at the Red Sea, the, the supply of food and water, whatever they needed, they had. The leading of God by the pillar of cloud and, and, and of fire. Not to mention, man, those great hookahs with the sandals that never wore out, right? I mean, man, I want, I want some of those chanclas. There was no denying that, that, that he was with them. And yet as soon as they, they deemed that Moses, notice a man, see, that's where we go wrong, trying to love in the, in the horizontal, was taking too long, what did they do? They left. They turned to idolatry, you know? Aaron, your brother, he's, he's taking too long, man. You know, you need to hook us up with some gods, plural, gods, so that we can follow. Unfortunately, what did Aaron do? Right? I, I look at Aaron as I was reading this, and I'm like, this guy is a pioneer of the feel-good church, man. He'll do, and he'll say whatever it is you need in order to make them feel good. And that's dangerous, man. There's one thing that you'll find in this church, because we teach from the Bible, not because we're holy, not because, no, because Pastor Manny, because Pastor Chuck was given 
a conviction that you teach through the Bible. That's what church is. That's how we grow. You're going to hear some good things. You're going to hear some tough things. But we all need it so that we can grow. This guy says, oh, yeah, I'll make you a God. And what did they do? They followed. Making two golden calves. Unbelievable, huh? But I was thinking, how am I doing in that department, you know? I might not be like worshiping calves, but man, if I'm, if I'm worshiping money, in essence, I'm, I'm worshiping the, the bulls in Wall Street, right? You know, how am I doing, you know, when, when, when times get tough? You know, when, when we're short, you know, do, do I run somewhere else or do I run to God? Do I trust? You know, that's one of the things that, that we all need to think about, you know? What about when we hear the ugly, ugly, frightening word of cancer? You know, do we get on our knees or do we run straight to Kaiser? There's nothing wrong with doctors. God uses doctors, believe me. Uh, If one of my children were sick, I would go to the hospital, but I hope and pray that the first thing I would do is I would go to the vertical. I would get on my knees and I would pray and ask God, you know, ask God for direction. Uh, What about when the love grows cold? You know, when we're not no longer thriving in our marriage, man, we're just kind of surviving. You know, do we run to some other arms or do we run to God's arms and ask him to rekindle that fire? Ask him to give us a love, his love for our spouse. Do we do that? Do we say, God, even though maybe I'm not feeling it right now in obedience, I'm going to love my wife. I'm going to love my husband. I'm going to love my spouse. God's seat, man, it was still warm um, when the people left him to go after gods that didn't exist. Idolatry is key. That's why he said you need to love God first or you're going to love something else. You're going to love someone else. The Bible says that you can't have two masters. Huh? You're going to love one more than the other. So we need to be careful with that. The second reason, I think it's tied into the first. It's idolatry too because it's the love of self. It's the, it's the need to fulfill that yearning that we have inside to satisfy ourselves. So question, what happens when he's not first? Then we're going to get our fill from other places. You know, that's sadly why you see like, you know, these, these people in these relationships after relationship after relationship being women, young ladies who are the princesses of God being used by men because they're trying to fulfill the need that they have for love that could only be fulfilled by God. By God, he's the only one. You know, um, we're going we're gonna to fill that need with other things. If we're honest with ourselves, we would admit that we're constantly looking at people or things to fulfill that need that only he can fill. I like what C.S. Lewis wrote in Mere Christianity. He put, most people, if they had really learned to look into their own hearts, would know that they do want, and want acutely, meaning intensely, something that cannot be had in this world. There are all sorts of things in this world that offer to give it to you, but they never keep their promises. The longings which arise in us when we first fall in love or first think of some foreign country or, or first take up some subject that excites us are longings with no, which no marriage, no travel, no learning can really satisfy. He goes on to say, I'm not talking about unsuccessful marriages or holidays or learned careers. I'm speaking of the best possible ones. There was something we grasped at in that first moment of longing which just fades away in the reality. He finishes off by saying, I think everyone knows what I mean. The wife may be a good wife, and the hotels and the scenery may be, have been excellent. The chemistry may be a very good, interesting job, but something has evaded us. If we try to fulfill ourselves with anything else but the vertical, um, we're going to come up short. We have a fundamental need to love, and that can only be filled by God. We can't expect a husband. We can't expect a wife 
We can't expect our kids. We can't expect money. We can't expect our friends, our hobbies, our careers. We can't expect the ministry to fulfill that space that only God can fill. It's impossible. Uh, if, if we want to be successful in this thing called love, we've got to decide to love and then to love rightly, to love with God's love, to accept God's love, to reciprocate God's love. Sadly, you know, because we're not on that right course, we, we kind of take something so beautiful like love and we, we hijack it, you know, for our own purposes, you know, for our own needs. If I just had a Valentine's today, I'd be happy, you know, kicking the card they found on the floor, you know. If my husband would just have taken me to the retreat, could have been that 28th couple, cheapo. <laughs> I'm in the same boat, guys. I'm here, okay? <laughs> if I had just that type of wife, if only you know she could love me, if only she could support me the way that I need to be supportive. Pain causes disillusion, am I right? And that disillusion, um, it turns into bitterness, and we've got to be careful with that. You know, here you, you have single people that are disillusioned because they've tried to fulfill that love with other things, and you'll, you'll have them say, you know what, I'll never get married. I'll never find love. I'm done with getting hurt. I'm going to be the hurter now. I'm not going to be the heartbroken. I'm going to be the heartbreaker. I'm not going to allow anyone to hurt me anymore. And we set up these walls. You find these, 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 these married you know, ladies that say, you know what, uh, he'll never love me the way I want to be loved, the way I deserve to be loved, right? You, know? you, you, you hear these guys that even though they don't, they don't vocally say it, they don't say it out loud in their mind, they're thinking, man, this is it. This is my ball and chains, man. I made the bed. I got to sleep in it. This is it. This is for the rest of my life. Or worse yet, man, it's over. I'm leaving. I want a divorce. I hate you. I quit. Those are all things that happen because of disillusion. Those are all things that happen because we try to fill ourselves um, with love that, 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 that wasn't going to fulfill anybody. We need to be filled with the vertical love. It's like that with every kind of relationship, guys, not just in the marriage, man. If, you, if you're trying to be filled with your kids, if you're trying to be filled in your career, if you're trying to be filled in anything, you're going to get disillusioned. So what do we do with these relationships? You know, what do we do when, when we're not loving in the vertical, only in the horizontal? I think we go into hyper mode, huh? Some of you guys are guilty of that. We go into hyper mode where we try to change them, where we try to mold them to fit our needs, our spouse, you know, the, the, our friends. To, to, man, I got a soundtrack right here. Yeah. It fits, too. We close ourselves off. You know, like, I, I, what I was thinking is, like, we, we put this, like, invisible bubble around us, you know, this force field. Uh, where, where if we're married, we got kids, we got parents, you know, sometimes some siblings, they can come in, right? Uh, perhaps we even allow some outside family members, you know. There's Uncle Herbert. Don't let him see you. Don't let him see you. Oh, he saw us. Come on in, Uncle Herbert, and we let them in, right, just because they kind of get thrown into the package. Uh, but after that, you know, maybe friends come in. But after that, man, coworkers, people we meet at church, people we just come in contact on a daily day basis, we close off. We're done. We can't talk. We can't be real. We can't be transparent with them because we're afraid that we're going to get hurt. We put a wall. And, and that's because we're not loving in, in the vertical. Um, it's hard to love sometimes, huh? Why? Because of that same thing, man. We, we, love, we leave ourselves vulnerable. 
Love, love it's beautiful, but, but love hurts. Love hurts. So question, are you willing to risk our heart or your heart by loving the right way? Another quote that uh, C.S. Lewis said that I, uh, that I was fascinated by, he said something that is so true. He says, there's no safe investment. To love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will certainly be wrung and possibly be broken. If you want to make sure of keeping it intact, you must give your heart to no one, not even to an animal, he says. Wrap it up carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, it, our heart, will be changed. It will not be broken. It will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. The alternative to tragedy, or at least to the risk of tragedy, is damnation. The only place he closes uh, outside of heaven where you can be perfectly safe from all the dangers and agitations of love is hell. Turn your attention back with me to Matthew twenty-two thirty-seven. Remember, Jesus was asked the question, what is the greatest commandment? Singular. Man, just give me the best, teacher. Give me the, the number one. I just want to know the number one, not the top ten. But look what it, what it says in Matthew twenty two thirty eight. 38. Jesus says, this is the first and great commandment. What is it saying? It's the greatest, right? But when he says this is the first, what he was saying is, I got another one in the bag. Yeah, you, you know Deuteronomy, you know the Shema, but man, I'm going to throw another one on you. This is a new covenant. I'm going to teach you by my life how to love what is vertical love? In Matthew twenty two thirty nine through 40, he says, And the second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments hang all the law and the prophets. When there's vertical love, then we can love in the horizontal. The way to love leads us to the way to love. As I was contemplating this thought, you know, I just kept picturing myself standing before a gracious, loving God. I just thought, I envisioned myself standing there looking up and just pleading, begging, asking God, help me, God, you know. I'm a wretched man. I'm all jacked up. Teach me how to love. Teach me how to love my wife, my kids, the way that you love. Help me to receive your love. Help me to reciprocate that love. And I just, like, I'm a weird guy, right? I'm a weird guy. I'll tell you, when God, when, when, God, when Manny asked me to teach about love, you know what song kept coming into my head? What is love? The whole time. I'm like, dude, are you serious? Like, get that out, you know? I'm weird, man. You got to pray for me. But I was contemplating standing before a, a loving God and, and, you know, raising up in the vertical the things, my needs, my, my difficulties, my shortcomings, and then just picturing that love just going up to God, you know, and, and him getting it and, and sculpting it and, and getting a hammer, man, and just making something out of it and hopefully allowing that love to rain down to help me to love the way that he loves. That's the way it has to be, man. It's got to be the vertical before it's the horizontal. That's the sign of the cross, ain't it? Before we can love in the horizontal, we've got to love in the vertical. Philippians 1.6 says that he who has begun a good work will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's one of the verses that I hang on to, man. Because I know how messed up I am. I know that, I, that I, I, I don't know how to love, but I know that I'm under his wing and he's teaching me. 
You know, I tell him, Lord, I'm all jacked up. I talk to God that way. And he responds, just keep your eyes on me. Keep following me. Keep loving me. Keep, keep looking towards me. I read another story of a husband who, who always wondered why his wife kept the box locked under the side of her, her bed. Um, the husband asked the wife one day if he could look inside. Um, but the wife told him, absolutely not. Under no circumstance should he ever pry into that box. That was private. That was my box. Don't look in there. All right? But as the wife got close to going to heaven, and heart you know, softened, and she gave the husband permission to open it in front of her. So the husband's like, cool, I'm going to get to find out. So inside the box, he found a crochet doll and $95,000 in cash. It's like, oh, that's why you had it locked up, woman. All right? So the wife says, you know, my mom taught me that instead of getting mad at you, what I should do is I should turn to crochet. And so the husband said, okay, wow, man, I actually feel pretty good, you know, because after 60 years of marriage, she just has one doll in there. But then he asked her, what about the 95000 She said, oh, that's from all the dolls I sold, crocheting. <laughs> we, we serve a God, guys, who, who, who is love. We serve a God who's love in spite of all our limitations. Um, and he's the one that has to, to teach us. Who better to, to love us? Who better to teach us how to love him and others than he who has loved himself? Amen? Uh, this, this world, man, I was also looking at some of the, the, the ideas that this world has on, on love. And you know what? Sadly, man, some of you, some, especially the men, you guys might think this, okay? The world has some crazy ideas on what love is. Some writer wrote, love is kind of like when you see fog in the morning. When you wake up before the sun comes out, it's just a little while, and then it burns away. Love is a fog that burns with the first daylight of reality. Cynical, because they're not loving in the vertical. Another, another writer wrote, love, a temporary insanity curable by marriage. Who should we listen to, though, man? Mere men, our flesh, our mind, or, or God, love himself. So, so the course of love is to love through the vertical first. That's, that's what I'm going to keep hammering away. Love through the vertical first. God is the way to love. Only when we do that can we love on the horizontal plane, right? God is the way for love. Uh, Brother Ray, uh, again, on, on Thursday, he taught on something similar. He said something that really hit home. Um, he said prior to Jesus, he didn't know how to love. He didn't know how to love his wife. He didn't love, love his, his, his children. Uh, he didn't know what love was. He, he, apparently, he's probably like me, you know. Uh, I grew up with love. My mom loved me. She did the best that she could, but she had no idea of who God was. She didn't have a relationship with God. She knew of God like many of us, right, but she didn't know God. And so I only got the vertical. So I didn't know how to love either, you know. And, and again, I, I haven't arrived. I'll just ask my family. Um, they're here. You can meet with them afterwards. Um, but again, I, I'm blessed because, you know, even though I don't love the way I should, I know that I don't love the way I used to. You know, plainly on the, on the, on the vertical. You know, I, I wrote a, a card for my wife that said, Today, Tomorrow, and Always. And I'll tell you that, man, that wasn't my, my idea before. My idea was like, until you get me mad, that's it, you know, or until some, some don't work out, man, I'm out, you know. That was, that was, that's what I thought, you know what I mean? Um, that's why I didn't marry her for so many years, sadly, when I lived in sin. Because it was my idea, like, hey, if something happens, I'm bouncing, I'm out of here. 
But when I came to know Jesus, when I came to know his sacrificial love, his selfless love, his staying love, man, I, I can sincerely write that card and mean it, you know? Not that we don't go through rough times. Um, not that, you know, we're not like any other couple that, that man gets in holy headlocks once in a while. It's usually my wife getting me in the headlock, just so you know. Um, but I, I know that I want to love my wife forever, you know? I do. I know that because that's God's love. God showed me that. God showed me that he's not going to let me go. He's not going to release me. He's going to love me no matter what. You know, and that's the type of love that I want to love with. So we talked about the course of love. We talked about the cost of love. How about the, the, the confirmation of love? Is it, is it sacrificing love in your life? Is it, is it selfless love? Is it staying love? And those are all the questions that we got to ask ourselves, you know. A fruit tree without fruit is just a plain old tree. Man. You need to have fruit in your lives. And we need to be constantly asking ourselves, how am I doing? How am I doing, God? What am I doing? How am I loving, you know? Um, but, but the one thing that I forgot to mention is the cost of love. And I, I don't want to skip that because that's important. Um, I would venture to say that all of you guys love somebody here. And I would venture to say that because you love, you experience pain. You experience the cost of love. Does it hurt? Are you feeling it? You know? Uh, John 15, 13 says, Greater love has no one than this than to lay one's own life for his friends. That's the love I'm talking about. The yearning of a, of a prodigal child's parent when they feel that, that hurt in their heart because they, they hear of the prodigal child. They hear of the story the prodigal child. And then they hear a verse like uh, 3 John 1, 4, where it says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children walk in the truth. That's the type of love that I'm talking about. Does it hurt? Does it hurt? You know? Uh, when, you're, when you are talking about your family members, when you're talking about friends that you know aren't right with the Lord, does it bug you? Does it hurt? You know, I was talking to my wife about someone the other day, and, and, and you can see that she was hurting, that, that there was a battle inside of her because she wanted her friend to be right. Do we have that? Do we have that type of love? Does it hurt? Does it cost? The life that would be willing to lay down one's uh, most loved one uh, for God, right? It's interesting that the first time, and a lot of you know this, that the word love is found in the Bible was involving pain, was involving cost, was involving uh, sacrifice. It's found in Genesis 22, 1 through 2, which is the story of Abraham and Isaac, right? We all know that story. It says, Now it came to pass after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. And he said, Take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love. That's the first time love appears in the Bible. Take him whom you love and go to the land of Moriah and offer them as a burnt offering on, the, on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Interesting, huh? The first time love is mentioned, it's, it's coupled with pain. It's coupled with the cost of love. I mean, I, I, man, I got a son named Isaac, and so this, this hits home to think that you're going to sacrifice your son. It, it wasn't like Abraham knew that God would change his mind. You know, it, it wasn't like he thought, well, God ain't going to do this. I'll call his bluff. No, Abraham, he believed God. Time after time after time, it proves that Abraham believed God. By his life. It goes on to say in that, in that passage that he rose up early the next morning in obedience to God and he went up the mountain with his son. He didn't want to love that way, huh? I mean, would you, those of you that are parents, would you want to love that way? It hurt. It cost him. But 
for the sake of love, because he loved in the vertical first, he was able to love in the, in, in the horizontal, even though it was painful, even though it hurt. Hebrews eleven nineteen gives us kind of a, a, a picture of what, what Abraham was thinking of his faith. It says, uh, um, concluding that God was able to raise him, him, Isaac, up, even from the dead, from which he also received him in a figurative sense. So, you know, that, that was the trust that he had. That was the, the, the vertical love that he had, that, okay, God, you're asking me to do something very difficult here, but I'm going to trust you. And I love my son so much because I love in the vertical that I know even this that you're asking me to do is for his benefit. That's love that costs. Abraham had amazing faith, man. There's going to be expense in love. You're going to pay. It might hurt. Um, but with God, man, in the picture, that, that's going to be a benefit. Jeremiah 29, 11 says, For I know the thoughts that I think towards you, says the Lord, thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you a future and a hope. We can stand on that. Romans eight twenty eight says that all things work out for the good of those who love God and are called according to his purpose. We've got to believe that, guys. So we talked about the course of love, the cost of love. Now let's look at the confirmation of love, the proof of love. Pain, we just talked about, is one of the evidences of love. But what about sacrificing love? God, our God showed us that, man. He, there's no way. He's not a God that can say, this is what I want you to do, and I'm not going to prove it to you. I'm not going to show you how to do it. He showed us. John 3.16, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Question, how did God prove his love? He gave his only begotten son, huh? It was sacrificing, it was selfless, it was staying. Love. I love the verse in Genesis 29. It's a, it's a Valentine's Day verse, but I, I have to ask my question, how am I doing? Do, do I love like Jacob? You know, when, when in terms of, of, of what it says here about Rachel, it says in Genesis 29, 20, so Jacob served seven years for Rachel, and they seen only a few days to him because of the love that he had for her. It's beautiful, huh? You know, no matter what, man, I'm, I'm there. That's the type of love that I want. It's a sacrificial love. Again, vertical, before it could be horizontal. What about those that are hard to love? You guys have any of those around? Those that are hard to love. The bosses, man, that get on your nerves. Those, those family members, the people here at church. Except you guys. You guys are all easy to love. But I'm going to be honest with you. There's some people that are hard to love, man. I call them the pricky, pricky plants people, right? Because all you have to do is pass by them, brush, brush yourself by them, and it hurts, right? How are we doing with the nopales in our life? How are we doing? When I was a kid, I, I didn't like nopales. I'm like, that's gross. Man. I ain't eating that thing. Uh, and, and nopales, in case you're wondering, in case you don't know, it's cactuses, right? I didn't like them until I tried them. Ooh, some nopales with some huevos. Ooh, man. And then I discovered the health benefit of them. Do you know how healthy cactuses are for you? Well, it's the same thing with people that are hard to love. Man, God is using them as sandpaper for our lives. You know? Of you that are carpenters, you know, you take sand to, to, to a rough piece of wood, and what does it do? It smooths it out. And God wants to use those type of people to smooth us out, right? It, it, just like the nopales are a health benefit, these people are a spiritual benefit to our lives. If we just allow them, if we love from the vertical first, we can love in the horizontal. What about the insulted church? You know that there's many people, and some of you might be here, 
that leave churches because they felt insulted by someone? Instead of trying to love those who insulted them? You know, they leave and, and they bring their bitterness to other churches? We can't be like that. There's going to be people that rub us here the wrong way. But we got to continue to love them. we got to continue to love them. We need to exercise love. We need to decide to love the right way. We need to love people in spite of their differences. What did Jesus say? He says, love your enemies, huh? It's easy to love your friends. Love your enemies, he said. Love those that mistreat you. Love them. We need to understand um, God's heart for all people. What about the lost? That's another kind of evidence of your love in your life. How are you with the lost? You know, man, I, I kind of stand back at this church, and I, I really, I don't know if you guys see it, but, but I see a work of God in this church. You want to know why? Because there's new people that come every week. And I know that didn't find a driver by because you would never know there's a church here, right? <laughs> right? It was someone that invited you. It was a friend. It was a loved one. I said, hey, come to church. I've been going to this little church. Where's it at? It's right there in front of In-N-Out, by the bowling alley. <laughs> you know, really? Yeah, come check it out. And they come. Right? So God's doing the work, and I know that he's, he's moving your hearts to do that, but how are we with, with the lost, you know? How are we doing in that department? Jesus had a heart for the lost. And in Matthew 18, 12, he gives the parable of the lost sheep in response to the criticism of religious leaders who were criticizing for hanging out with sinners. How dare you hang out with sinners? You know, when we see people out on the street, when we see people down and out, we want them. We should want them here. We can't be those Christians that are like, oh, no, you shouldn't invite those people here. It's going to scare the, 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 the Christians away. Really? We, we should have a heart uh, for the lost. Matthew eighteen twelve says, What do you think if a man has a hundred sheep and one of them goes astray, does he not leave the 99 and go to the mountains to seek the one that is straying? The Gospel of Luke kind of gives a little bit more. It says, I say to you that likewise, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 just persons who need no repentance. Having the heart of Jesus is not seeing someone in light of their sin. It's seeing someone in light of God's great grace and his power to transform lives. We're proof of that, right? Those of us that have been redeemed, restored, I mean, we know, right, that we're not there and we see our faults, but I think we can give God the glory that we're not who we used to be. God transforms lives. We need to have that heart for the lost. When was the last time you led someone to Christ? When was the last time you said Jesus to someone? When was the last time you invited someone to church? I pray that God gives us a heart for the lost. Okay, now for the sake of time, because I know you guys got reservations at Petrillo's, um, let's, let's talk about the centrality and the consequence of love. Remember I told you that our greatest desire, our greatest goal for us as Christians, for us as humans, but especially for us as Christians, is, is to love. It's critical, man. Um, as Christians, we're to love and we're to love rightly. Uh, what's, the, what's the one thing that when you talk to a non-believer and they find out that you're a Christian, they say? Uh, besides, I know someone that's sinning. Okay, because that's one of the things that they always say. I know Christians. They also say, I know a Christian that I met who didn't display love, who wasn't very loving. Um, so we have an opportunity. What's at stake? How important is love? It's everything. Because we wear the badge of ambassadors for God. Whether we like it or not, whether we wear the T-shirt or not, if they find out we're Christians, they're looking at us. How are we living? How are we handling? How are we loving? And so if we're not loving the way that we should love, man, we should just 
keep it home, keep it on the DL. You, you know what I mean? Because you're, you're, you're doing more harm than good. You're dragging God's name, Jesus' name, through the mud. Proverbs says that when a righteous falls before the wicked, it's like going up to a well, a well that you expect to find water, refreshment, and it being full of mud, a murky spring, it says. We don't want to do that. We want to love. It's crucial. The centrality of love is crucial. And also the consequence of love, right? It's, it's crucial. And, and John 13, 35 says, By this, all will know, all will know, that you are my disciples, how you love one another. In 1 John 4, 20 and 21, it says, If someone says, I love God and hates his brother, he's a liar. For he who does not love his brother whom he has seen, how can he love God whom he has not seen? And this commandment we have from him, that he who loves God must love his brother also. Loving rightly, first vertical, then horizontal, is of most importance. As Christians, we're, we're God's ambassadors. Man. Whether you like it or not, we need to love rightly. It's crucial. In closing, I love the prayer of Paul uh, for the Ephesian church because it's what we need as a church. It's what we need as Christians. It should be our prayer for ourselves. It says in Ephesians 3.14, For this reason I bow my knees to the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, from whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named, that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with might through uh, the Spirit in the inner man, that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love. Are we rooted? Are we grounded in love? That's the question for us on Valentine's Day. The only way we could do that is if it's through the vertical first. There's no way we could do it through the horizontal. We can't. We need to learn how to love like God loves. We need to receive his love first. We need to love him back so that we can love everyone else around us. Amen.